within 10 to 15% is currently where we can achieve the accuracy of sensor, right? Uh, in terms of PM 2.5, PM 10, you can achieve within somewhere 20 to 25%. are listening to Understanding the Future podcast. I am the host Punit Gandhi and this podcast is developed in association with Climate Center for Cities under the National Institute of Urban Affairs and the Ministry of Housing and Urban Affairs. This is a podcast where we discuss about the future of work in the field of climate change, urban development, innovation and sustainability with the help of leaders and visionaries working on ground as well as in the top management of public and private sector. Our objective is to better understand the future so that we can be prepared and intervene to enable climate actions in the urban areas. Hello everyone, welcome to the podcast Understanding the Future. I am the host Punit Gandhi and today we have with us Dr. Sachidanand Tripathi. He is a professor at IIT Kanpur and is also a part of steering committee for National Clean Air Program under the Ministry of Environment, Forest and Climate Change. He has also been part of several committees under the Government of India. Today, he will help us in understanding the future of air quality monitoring. Welcome to the show, Dr. Sachidanand Tripathi. Thank you, Puneet Nandi. Thank you very much. I'm truly excited to be part of this podcast series and I hope that our interaction will benefit people at you know your institute and other people who are interested in improving air quality in the cities over India. Absolutely sir that's my hope as well. So I would like to start our conversation with understanding what all components are we measuring in the air quality monitoring? So traditionally you see that uh, air management, if you see, comes as a part of the overall uh, preservation and conservation of environment. And that has been entrusted with the Central Pollution Control Board at the central level, federal level. And at the state level, there are counterparts, which are called State Pollution Control Board. And uh, how do you protect the ambient environment, which is your air, is by designing certain standard. So the, these standards are basically some numbers uh, which you uh, try to adhere to. Uh, so uh, first you define certain, let's say, substances, which you declare that they are pollutants. Yeah. And they are pollutants because they have been seen and they do harm the human being, the animals, uh, the plant and flora fauna, as well as maybe the buildings. So once you know that these things, if they are present in the air, otherwise, you know, air is a mixture of certain gases, right? And some very trace amount of some of the things where they cannot be termed as pollutant. But when these numbers start exceeding, then you have to define them as pollutants and then you want to give certain numbers to them. So for India, we have a national air quality standard and for that 
you basically try to monitor which Central Pollution Control Board and State Pollution Control Board are interested to do that are basically called criteria pollutants. These are PM 2.5, that is particulate matter having size less than 2.5 micron. Then PM 10, likewise having size less than 10 micron. Then four kind of oxides, which are gas pollutants, gaseous pollutants like sulfur dioxide, uh, nitrogen oxide, two metals. For example, lead has been monitored for quite some time because you know that we used to use lead in the fuel. And that had certain reason behind that why people were using that in the vehicles. But it has been stopped seeing its very unwarranted, unwanted effects on human being, etc. So primarily, you see there are six to seven criterion pollutants, which the regulators like to monitor and try to ensure that their values are well within the numbers, what we call as the national air quality standard. So to give an example, that PM 2.5 on a daily basis, that 24 hour average for any place, any city, it should be less than 60 microgram per meter cube. So if it exceeds 60 microgram per meter cube for a particular day, then you would say, well, that day, that air is not meeting the national air quality standard. Okay. Then what happened that since there were six such pollutants, then they thought that, well, it's difficult to term the overall quality of air based on six such criterion. So rather, can we club them by giving some weights to each of them and come out with a single weighted parameter which actually started to be called as AQI, air quality index. So instead okay. of looking at each one of them separately, you just actually, you give weight to these numbers which are actual measured numbers and then you come out with air quality index. That okay. is what generally you try to measure. Okay, that's, that's uh, I think, a very good explanation for the same. So when we are talking about uh, monitoring them or mapping them, uh, what, so we do have physical stations as well as satellite imagery that we use. Can you explain a bit on both sides? How do we map it and how does that whole process happen? So generally regulators, they try to measure them using reference grade monitors so reference grade monitors are where the measured quantity are traceable that means it can be traced to a number which is a standard which is again traced to a standard in a laboratory for example how do you say that this time is one second because you know a particular kind of a metal and it atom has certain property and that has been done in a laboratory somewhere in US or India. And you know that that particular property, which happens, that happens in one second. And that's what all the watches, when what they give you this time, one second are traceable to that. Likewise for a one kilogram weight or one meter distance. Yes. So 
they as i said that either you go for reference grade that becomes very very complex and expensive so what they say actually reference equivalent so they are not actually reference but something which is equivalent to reference or can be traced to reference monitors this is what traditionally still all the regulators like to use so for example they use a particular technique called beta attenuator attenuation monitor bam and a version of that actually is called ebm that they use for measuring pm 2.5 and pm 10 this is done in us this is done in india for measuring pm 2.5 and pm 10 likewise there are different kind of analyzers they all work on some different principles they work on they exploit different properties of these four gases which i mentioned before sulfur dioxide nox ozone and carbon monoxide each of these gas has certain property you try to harness that property and that you use in certain kind of analyzers and they give you very precise numbers for that these four are again used by the regulatory agencies whether in us or in india right so yeah. this is what generally if you go for what you these days you hear that c a a q m s yes. okay continuous ambient air quality monitoring station so if you have this which if you are in delhi uh, i'm sure you see those data and that comes from about 37 stations which are combined number of stations put together by central pollution control board and delhi pollution control committee that what they use these technique to measure these criterion pollutant this is what they generally have been using now the issue here is that one such station costs you a huge amount of money yep. this is somewhere from 1.25 to 1.4 crore that is 125 lakhs to 140 lakhs to install and maintain such a station for 3 to 4 years that's the cost you have to spend to get these data which are very accurate yeah now given the prohibitive cost of these therefore scaling the monitoring using such techniques have become very challenging that's why you see that it took time to have 37 monitors even in place like yeah. delhi only yeah. in national capital territory delhi you could have 37 monitors it started running only from late 2018 so only it has been 2 years since 37 monitors are running many other part of the country still you do not have that kind of a network yeah now satellite is one approach which has been talked about in giving basically measures columnar properties and generally people have been uh, proposing it to use or exploit the columnar properties of aerosols or particulate matter mm. which is called aerosol optical depth hmm. it is just like in the if you take a glass of water and if you put some soda or salt or sugar 
one spoonful of sugar in that the water from being very clean and transparent it becomes turbid right yeah. that turbidity if you measure by launching a beam of light on the top and if you can measure how much light is attenuated because there are now sugar particles they will attenuate light yeah. so from that you can actually measure how much is the total attenuation in a glass of water because of these dissolved particles of sugar now that is called turbidity and exact equivalence happens in the atmosphere that you have a clean atmosphere you can think from surface to about 15 km and now if you have particles there and sunlight which is coming yeah that again will get attenuated because of these particles right yeah. so from that what you measure is called aerosol optical depth and that many satellites actually measure and from that people try to using certain assumptions quite a few assumptions become involved and using that then you try to predict pm pm 2.5 now pm 2.5 is a value which is what you breathe breathe means which is in every volume of air what you either measure or you are breathing so from a columnar you see in entire column what is present you are trying to predict in every volume of air yeah. that becomes a quite a complex yeah. issue and lot yeah. many assumptions are involved so there are attempts and there are ongoing attempts also to use satellite to predict pm 2.5 but there are number of assumptions involved and because of that the uncertainty still is quite large yes because it is not a direct measurement first satellite itself what it is measuring from the top of atmosphere wherever it is stationed or it's moving mm -hmm. what it is measuring that what i mentioned that atmospheric turbidity or aerosol optical depth that is not a direct measurement again it measures something else and then it uses some retrieval algorithms to give you optical depth so there are assumptions assumptions involved there number one wow. from that retrieved parameter you are again using certain assumptions many by the way and then try to get pm 2.5 so there are very much accepted estimates globally that you can have as much as up to 50% error in that and this is well well accepted also in us otherwise you can probably ask that nasa has several satellites and they are able to get many measurements of aerosol optical depth over us and they have been and they have been trying and att attempted they have attempted that whether optical depth can be used to convert it to pm 2.5 but still the the prevalent uncertainties restrict them from using that for that purpose so that is a very clear issue as of now the second problem there is that not only you have uncertainties that these satellites actually pass over a region for example the satellite data which generally people use in india that passes over india twice yeah. one at about 10 am 10:30 am one in the afternoon around 1:30 pm mm -hmm. now you see that let's say that 
you are able to predict, let's say that you are able to predict quite accurate, which is not true, still you are able to get only two data points in a day. Whereas what we know, and as you know very well, that particulate matter has a very strong variation from the morning to evening. And that determines what you are inhaling, what is your exposure. Yes. So such kind of data which is can be derived from retrieved optical depth may be used for long-term trends, etc. Mm -hmm. But for air quality management, I think we are still way off where we can start using it for AQM. Wow, this was, I think, one of the best explanations I've heard for me to clearly understand how this whole process works. Thank you for that. Uh, so coming to the follow-up question on this. Uh, so I'm assuming now that is why we are trying to build more of IoT-based devices, which are cheaper in uh, usage as well. And while we can still monitor some of it, the air quality or at least the hotspots. So how is that development going on in India right now? So you're right that IoT is a way of basically communicating what you measure. Right. Yeah. Okay. Through uh, either communicating or trying to assimilate with some already existing fabric of IoT. Right. Yes. But how how do you measure it? First, you try to sense it. For that, you need to have certain sensors. Yes. So this sensor-based measurement of particulate matter and gases started about seven eight years back. Let's say in the global context. And uh, in India, it happened uh, somewhere from, let's say, late 2015, where some startups started entering into this domain. And uh, that time, the idea was not looking into the accuracy and stability of these sensors. That idea was that because air quality was deteriorating and uh, and there were people who were just interested to get more data, right? Because we had huge gaps in data, because as I just mentioned that, there were sparse networks across the country. That is where it started. Uh, from 2016, some serious uh, investigations started looking into the sensor-based measurement of air quality. Our groups, uh, our group also started looking into that in a very you know, comprehensive way. And uh, over three, four years of time, where uh, we, of course, were part of several large initiatives where we led it and some startups also participated. Uh, the current status is that, that sensor can measure very accurately PM 2.5. So most of the time, what we have seen that sensors can give you measurement within 10 to 15 percent of equivalent reference grade monitors okay. so what regulatory grade monitors measure within for example currently we are running a network of 30 sensors in delhi and a network of 22 sensors in iit kanpur and then we are doing a sensor evaluation project 
by joining hands with Maharashtra Pollution Control Board, where we have spread out sensors across all their CEA QMS in Greater Mumbai area. And yep. from all three different settings, Delhi, Mumbai, and IIT Kanpur, that is Kanpur. Yep. We are seeing that sensors are agreeing very, very well with the reference grade monitors. And everywhere we also have either reference grade monitors sitting adjacent to a sensor or they are somewhere in the neighborhood, right? So within 10 to 15% is currently where we can achieve the accuracy of sensor, right? Uh, in terms of PM 2.5, PM 10, you can achieve within somewhere 20 to 25%. For gases, it varies. So for gases, it can go from somewhere 20 to 8% error, depending on whether it's NOx or ozone. These are the two gases where we have uh, looked into very extensively. In fact, we just have got a very detailed work just getting published where we have looked into accuracy of NOx and ozone sensors by placing them in Mumbai and Delhi for two or three different seasons. So this is... Uh, what the current status is. Now, PM 2.5, one other important issue is that, remember that uh, most of the health-related effects come from PM 2.5, right? So 80 to 85% health-related issues can be avoided if you can mitigate or get a good handle on PM 2.5. So for PM 2.5, sensors are looking quite good, quite stable. Provided that you have to also apply right calibration factors or models. So sometimes what happens that these calibration, which are basically coming out of some relationship between the reference grade monitors value and sensor value, you come out with some kind of a factor. Now these factors may change depending on the amount of particulate matter, the type of particulate matter and to certain extent environmental factors for example temperature relativity etc yes. if these factors can be obtained and can be applied accurately and this will change for example if sensors are displaced or relocated or if there is a change in season or the sensor itself may degrade over a period of time so if these three, four things are taken care of, definitely sensors are looking quite promising in measuring PM 2.5. All these three things are actually a very active area of research now. That how one can achieve calibration factor and apply them on the fly. That is rather than having to recall the sensor to a reference grade monitor site. Instead, if you have some measurement, co-located measurements either available next to, from next to the sensor or from the neighborhood, can you apply them to the sensor's data, right? That's one thing. Uh, the second thing also is to look into that whether the sensor itself has some drift just because of some malfunctioning because if you can predict it well then you should be able to fix it or replace the sensor in advance that 
in that way you can avoid loss of data or you can also avoid erroneous data which might come in and you will have problem in actually sorting that out so if you can predict that that well this sensor might go bad then you can easily just replace them so yes. these are a couple of things which are happening and hopefully with that we should be able to kind of create what you call a end-to-end -end technology where the sensors are giving you stable reliable accurate and precise data and there are now what we have also worked on in last one or one and a half years where we have been able to integrate it with several kind of communication technology as you mentioned in the question to start with that earlier we were trying to communicate sensors with the back-end server using GPRS technique that is cell phone but many a times and in many regions of the country you might have poor network issues yes. and therefore if you can also have dual sim in the sensors for example either you can have nb iot what you just mentioned yes. that you have iot hub close by or some other kind of things for example six low pan kind of technology for example in your institute or my institute you can have different like routers and gateway which form their own network and somewhere it is connected to the internet right so there are these hybrid approaches as the need be can increase the overall relay of data overall you can increase the measurement frequency and also the overall collection of the data so with that what you are achieving here is that you are achieving a very autonomous kind of a system yes. which does not require any manual intervention yes. contrary to CA QMS which gives you very reliable data but very expensive and it requires manned intervention because it requires safety etc etc whereas these units are just like a little bigger than most of the time than your large size cell phone and smaller than your tablet Literally, they are nine inch to four inches, and maybe two to three inches, in, wow. you know, uh, deep, right? And that you can just place in anywhere, provided that you have a balcony or something like that, and if there is a stable power supply, and most of the time they can run with their own batteries for six to eight to ten hours, and they will uninterrupted way they will just keep on sending the data to your IoT fiber, you know, whatever. A kind of framework you have that's the idea and where people are working on currently the yeah. the other important thing here is that the cost factor that the cost of caqms i told you which is about 130 lakhs if you yeah. put a like a average figure for three to four years for a system and definitely you need them because you need them to have accurate data so that you can always drive your sensor to an uh, accurate number. Yes. But they can never meet the entire need what you have for doing the monitoring currently, right? So the sensor-based, these units, you know, before the this kind of research started and startups entered into this domain, so some of the large players were selling it at four to five lakh. Currently, in fact, they have made it about eight lakhs per unit. I'm sure you mm -hmm. must be aware of some of those. Yeah. And 
frankly speaking, their data is also not so great because they have not invested so much into improving the calibration and other issue of the data. Okay? They just have, they make sure that it is measuring. Yes. What has happened that these startups, whom some of them have worked with me and we are working with a set of startups while we are evaluating these technologies with Maharashtra Pollution Control Board in Mumbai, the cost has been brought down to 50 to 70,000. So one unit, if you are only doing PM 2.5 measurement and PM 10, it's about 50,000. And if you want to replace sensors for two, three years, you add a couple of tens of thousands more, maybe 75,000, and you can have literally a unit running across three years without much of a problem. You want to add gas sensors also, then probably you add another 30, 40,000. So as of now, 1 lakh to 1.25 lakhs is the current cost for a whole unit which should be able to give you a good data of PM 2.5 and ozone to these very important pollutants, which actually are responsible for 95% of health-related issues. Either you hear about ozone problem or then you have a PM problem in India or anywhere for that yeah. matter. These two you can measure with, let's say, a ballpark figure of 1 lakh rupee per unit. But given that more startups and the startups are able to scale it, you can bring the cost to hopefully to about 60, 70,000 or even lesser in uh, coming uh, near future. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it, it does sound fascinating that we can bring down this cost to this level. How do we make sure that this kind of calibration keeps on happening? Because uh, with more startups coming in, I'm guessing now the system is going more from government to private body on monitoring this ecosystem of air quality. So how do we make sure that the data is validated and calibrated throughout so that we don't lose out on the bigger picture of monitoring good air quality? We have a good air quality monitoring instead of just we have a lot of sensors and not a good air quality monitoring. Right. Yeah, that's a very good point that you want to have a network. You want to ensure that it has a high uptime, that it's stable, correct? Yes. And you also, as you say, that fairly accurate data you should have from these sensors, right? We are not saying that it can give you as accurate as a reference yes. grade monitor because you see that you cannot buy a horse in the price of sheep, right? Yes. Isn't it? So the price difference is of the factor of 100. So yes. in a... In, a, in the price of one CEA QMS, you can buy literally 100 such things, right? So just Absolutely. remember that your city will be flooded with these sensors. So this is what, where the regulators and others will come into the picture. That, that's why I said that you, have, you cannot make that the regulatory grade, grade totally redundant this domain yes. they have to be there right the, those monitors need to be there for example many many other activities in uh, different sectors right be it industrial or infrastructure right not everything is done by government as you know very well yes. right there are there are very much private players who are around and they do the things but there are well designed and well de well designed and well planned mechanisms by which you do the quality control 
Correct. Likewise, just imagine that if you have a city, let's say a city X, and you have three or four government monitors, and let's say there are 20, 30 sensors which have formed a network in the city. Well, uh, that's good enough because the one point which I had not elaborated about is that the role of machine learning in doing the calibration and applying them to a network. So remember that we had, a, in fact, a very well, you know, received work about last year which came out where we developed a way of, which is Gaussian progress regression modeling framework. Is it kind of a, a, a well-developed machine learning technique? Where if you imagine that you have a set of CAQMS spread around in the city, the city I was just talking about, let's say 510 are spread around, and you have interspersed sensor in that. Yeah. Now just using the reference grade monitor, which is also coming, right? The data is streaming, it's available to you, and the sensor data, you can literally, you can work out that how accurate the sensors are. That is one way. That is one way that, so remember that, when, when they are saying that these 122, as of now, in the National Air Quality Program, which is called as a mission now. Yeah. So in that, there are 122 non-attainment cities where the quality standards are not being met. So when they say it is not met and they would like to have them to meet the quality, air quality standard, that would go by their reference quality monitoring. Therefore, reference grade monitoring stations need to be there, correct? Each yes. city, whether it's one or two or three. So you have that reference equivalent data available. But remember that when it comes to health related issues, you would not rely on only three station data because you see that there can be large variations. You know, we have seen in every city. Now Delhi, we have these sensors. We are seeing that sometimes sensors are totally agreeing with a CPCB monitor, which is next to each, each other. And sometimes they are close by and there's a huge variation. That all depends on the weather systems, the local micrometeorology, any particular source or a number of sources which are sitting. And the citizens are concerned what actually they are breathing in, right? Yeah. The, the monitors, the government monitors will ensure that in five to 10 square kilometer, the air is safe. But what is that measuring is not necessarily true what three kilometers away you are breathing in. You are concerned about what you are breathing in, what your kid is breathing in when he goes to school, what you breathe when you are, you are exposed to when you go for a walk or jog in the park, right? Yes. So therefore, this network of sensors need to come up, right? That what we call is the hybrid way of monitoring. Now, if you have these regulatory grade monitor, and you have the sensor, I told that there is a huge role of machine learning and deep learning. Using that, you can have a good idea that how accurate your sensors are, number one. Then regulators always have this choice, or the government, to bring recall some sensors randomly, make them sit next to monitors for just a couple of days, and you will have a good idea how good they are doing. Is as simple as that, right? Yeah. Or you can take your reference monitor, you can always have some mobile. There are also the third concept that you, and which people are already working on abroad, many places. In fact, I have proposed this to government 
to have a mobile laboratory where a reference monitor is also sitting on the mobile laboratory. So until now, we were only talking about stationary monitors, either reference grid or sensors. But remember that you have a mobile platform and on this mobile platform, a reference grid monitor is moving. So wherever it's going, it is giving you reference grade value, accurate value. You just take it and just make it stand next to a sensor for just two days. And you will come to know that whether it has been properly calibrated, the calibration factor has been applied or not. It's as simple as that. And you don't have to take to all sensors. If you have a network operated by, let's say, startup A or B, and you just have to look at it two or three sensors. That's the way any kind of quality control. You don't pick up every apple or orange from your, when you buy yes. a sack of oranges, you just pick up one or two or three, right? Nobody does yes. that. So uh, just uh, a small question before we move to the next part of the question uh, is, so I read in one of the reports that there is a certification process for monitoring systems as well. I'm assuming that is for uh, CA, a QMS and not for these kind of sensor-based monitoring, right? So for uh, CA QMS, uh, generally, I think there was no certification as of now because uh, it was completely the system was adopted from what has been in use by Environmental Protection yeah. Agency, EPFUS, right? Okay. Yeah. So since that was already, you know, it was a yeah. reference equivalent. And since you were buying exactly same things, so I think uh, there was no need for doing a certification. Uh, okay. However, uh, there are some development happening where something of that kind has been claimed that is being developed in the country, right? Something of that kind, like reference equivalent kind of a system to monitor particulate matter in the country. If that happens, that would require certification, right? For sensor, I think having the concept of certification is a very, very, I would say, a, a difficult proposition. Okay. Because one has to remember that uh, they are never going to meet all those criteria which has been designed to give the tag of equivalent reference grade monitor for those, right? Yeah. Because the sensor can never meet that, that. So this probably will be misleading because what you are trying to have is a good idea about what is happening in your neighborhood or everywhere, right? Yeah. You are not designing any regulatory related things based on these measurements, right? So yeah. having a certification will be difficult. Uh, what one could probably do that can have a, a little general set of criterion, right? For example, uh, related to their stability, some one can say that some, again, broad range of issues related to, or, you know, matrices related to air, uh, I'm sorry, uh, related to error and how well they correlate with the equivalent reference monitors, that can be probably put in place. And based on that, one can, you know, certify okay. some of these things. But a certification per se, the way it is done for those equivalent monitors, if that will be done, I think uh, that will be, I would say that uh, quite uh, detrimental to the growth of the people, the startups who are 
you know, working in this area. And this is yeah. not only that they are doing here across the world, you know, just if you see that California had this huge fire and they could track the fire very, very well, because even their very accurate models would not have been able to predict the movement of fire because it's very complex or very difficult in given the complex, uh, you know, topography of California and weather conditions. But since they had a huge network of sensors, they could give a near real-time forecast of the fire progressing. So yeah. many such things you could really get to know. As you mentioned earlier, related to hot spot, this is what we are seeing right now from our network in Delhi. That we are seeing that there are some places which are between hot spot, which are, uh, cannot be uh, uh, you know measured or uh, designated by the data measured from CAQMS. So these are the things which you have these advantages. Now, if you make very stringent certification policy for these, I think it's not going, it will not be conducive for the growth of such kind of technology. Yeah. So yeah, coming to the next question on uh, national knowledge network that is being set up right now. Can you right. explain briefly what it is? I know there is a paucity of time uh, and uh, so you can be yeah. short about it as well. Not a problem. Okay. So this uh, was actually last year when uh, the National Clean Air Commission was launched. So that time uh, we proposed that, well, because it's a very, you know, large program, right? Covering entire yeah. country. And given the lack of capacity with different boards or other in this area, we need to bring more manpower, trained manpower to work in this. And one way was to bring more technical institutions, for example, institutions like IITs and ISC, NIITs, etc. Wherever you have trained manpower or faculty members or scientists who have been working in air quality engineering for some time. Yeah. And that way they will join hands with the state boards and you will have local capacity in every state to contribute to the national clean air mission goals. Now, yeah. this was form, formed last year with 18 IITs and a couple of national labs, etc. Now, this year, now, in fact, government found that this is quite good. So, then they uh, have interested, which is led by IIT Kanpur, and I'm coordinator, that basically this is going to be a, a set of nine IITs and ISC and a couple of other important think tanks which has been designated as a advisory group to Central Pollution Control Board. And we have been interested for setting some criteria and identifying 100 plus institutes across the country. So in fact, we have identified now 114 institutes, which we call as institutes of repute. These include other IITs, NITs, several top universities, whether in public sector or in private sector, private universities or and national labs. By looking at, there are already people who are working in this area or some of them with imparting some capacity can be brought and be graduated at a level where they can start contributing to national clean mission. So idea is that within months or year, we have good pool of very well-trained manpower 
who can take up all the work, technical work. There's so much of technical work, as you understand, right? Yes. Related to clean air mission. Who can work with the State Pollution Control Board and can directly help urban local bodies to for them to achieve the clean air goals under national clean air mission. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's great because as a part of Climate Smart Cities Assessment Framework as well, we have one of the indicators specifically focusing on clean air and how can that be brought into the city ecosystem. So we do recommend that have they, uh, we start with the recommendation of have they formed a committee to develop this kind of strategy to take, uh, you know, measures for clean air and then we go step by step into this whole thing as well. I think which aligns very well with what NKN would be trying to do here. And then coming to the last question of what do you think would be the skill sets that will be important if someone wants to be in this field in future and what all kinds of things they would have to know. Uh, it can be varied skill sets as well because there are, a, there are a lot of aspects I see coming in at different points. But some of those, if you can just highlight, would be great for our audience. So as you see that now this... Uh, let's say sensor-based technologies which are coupled with IoT and the machine learning. These are the keywords which you have heard uh, yes. and their quality engineering, right? These are the keywords as we talk along, you know, this interview, which has emerged uh, to you as well. So what I will say that the skill sets are, you know, mostly the engineers having a degree in either civil and environmental engineering, right? Yeah. Or sometimes even mechanical engineers would also be able to do that because they can contribute from the sensor side, the sensor development, sensor understanding of sensors, etc. Uh, then people also come from electrical or computer science, right? Computer science and engineering who bring with them the knowledge of either IoT, in Internet of Things, or other communication-related skills. Yeah. and our machine learning related skills. So these are the three, four sets that un good understanding of air quality and its engineering. The second is that communication related skills and sensor, which would come either from mechanical and as well as chemical engineering background. And finally, the machine and the deep learning related skill, which comes from mostly from persons having a strong background in statistics, mathematics, but generally speaking, computer science and engineering. These are the skills would anybody who is having any or more of them certainly would be able to excel a lot in this area and can contribute a lot in cleaning the air in the country. Okay. Thank you, uh, Dr. Sachidanand Tripathi. This was highly enlightening conversation for me because I got to learn a lot more about this topic, which has been my interest for quite some time now. I hope that our audience would have also gained this kind of information that they were looking for about air quality monitoring, as well as the type of technologies that are used currently to monitor the same. Again, thank you for your time. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Mr. Gandhi. Thank you very much. And uh, I hope that it will be useful for your intended audience. Thanks a lot. Thank you, sir.
You have been listening to Understanding the Future podcast. To know more about Climate Center for Cities, visit us at www.c-q.niua.org and follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram. The show is conceptualized, hosted and produced by Punit Gandhi. You can listen to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify. So don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your friends and colleagues. Thank you and stay tuned for the next episode.